Good morning, everyone. The kids can be dismissed. What we're going to be talking about is uh, Philippians verse three, or chapter three, verses twenty through twenty-one. So, if you turn to Philippians three twenty through twenty-one, uh, you'll see the the verse. I have, I did uh, my sermon on what's called Logos Bible software. It's the first time I've done it. Uh, I've owned the software for like 15 years and have never done anything with it. So I thought I would experiment on uh, you guys today with the sermon. And it said, it keeps track of how many words and how much time it's gonna take. And the timer said it would take me 17 minutes to go through everything. I didn't quite believe that. So I asked Pete, how many words does he have in his sermon? And he said, around 1,000. Well, I'm over 2,000 words in mine. So doing a little math, Pete takes about 40, 45 minutes, sometimes longer. So you double it, and you're gonna be at 90 minutes, all right? But I'm sure you will allow me grace in that if I keep on going and going and going, right? Though, um, Mike did inform me that his medication has been changed and he might start sleeping on me, so. Um, Okay, let's uh, read the verse. Philippians chapter three, verses 23, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We heard in the songs today over and over again that uh, it's power, and the power is in us, and Christ has that power, that resurrection power, and he applies it to us. So three things I want to accomplish today from those verses. I want to talk a little bit about heaven, which is an interesting topic. Uh, I want to talk about the new heavens and earth and the power to subjugate all things through Christ. Okay, our citizenship was in heaven. Paul was kind of playing off of the idea of the Romans and their colony that they had in Philippi. And he's using the same type of analogy where he says, Rome had established many colonies with former soldiers. But the thing is with the Roman soldiers, they wanted to keep those guys out of Rome as much as possible because they had blood on their hands. This particular area around Philippi saw Um, Marcus Aurelius take on Brutus. You remember Brutus? He's the guy that killed Caesar Augustus. Well, they had a big battle in Philippi and they didn't want those guys after the battle, they didn't want them to go back to Rome. And the idea was to strengthen the territory and to keep the soldiers away from Rome and to, uh, to strengthen the territories, the Roman territories. And so he uses that idea about us, that we are a colony of heaven. Applegate is a colony of heaven. We're not going back to heaven right now. God has us here. 
for a reason. But to have a colony, to have that status, that power, that relationship, the importance is who we are and what we do. Now let me talk a little bit about heaven. Heaven is kind of a strange topic for a lot of people. I mean, if you look at any kind of surveys from Google, man, you get all kinds of things about heaven. The majority of people actually believe that heaven is kind of a place where you go and you float around on the clouds. I mean, it's, people actually believe that, you've heard that, playing harps. But what they're getting at is that they don't really understand what it's about. Um, it seems like it's almost like a disembodied place, disembodied spirit where we go or we can go and just kind of then what do we do? There's actually believers that are uncomfortable about going to heaven because what do we do there? We've been busy our whole life down here and then what do we do up there? So they can be a little bit uncomfortable about that. But the thing we need to keep in mind is that heaven, and this might, I know when I said this to some people, this might shock you. Heaven is not our home. Heaven is not our permanent home. Here on earth is our permanent home, believe it or not. And heaven comes to earth. And God lives with us in a renewed, redeemed world. Now, doesn't that seem a little more tangible? I mean, you can kind of get your arms around that. You can kind of think about that and say, hey, that's pretty interesting. We'll have things to do here on heaven to, or here on earth when we, when we come back. But I want to kind of prove that to you as we go through here, that whole idea of this is our final home, this earth. It's going to be renewed and redeemed by God. People get the other idea, though, that we just go away, that this world is evil, this, the material world is bad, and we're going to be someplace different. We're going to be separated from that. Our spirit is going to be away from this material world. That's a very platonic belief. It came from Plato. He says that this material world is bad. The only good thing is the spiritual world. And so that kind of especially in the early church fathers, that kind of influenced their, some of their thinking. We had the problem with the Gnostics who believe the same thing. But what, what I want to show is that there's continuity between this life, heaven, if we end up there, if Christ doesn't come before we all go to heaven. There's continuity between this life, heaven, and the new heavens and the new earth. So what we do on this earth matters through all those different phases. It isn't discontinuous. It isn't, okay, here's this life, doesn't have anything to do with heaven. Then there's heaven, doesn't have anything to do with the new heavens and the new earth. And one thing you'll see also with the verse is that it kind of imitates that word. It says that we await from heaven, a savior. We expect Christ to come to this earth and he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So we have that expectation. 
of waiting until Christ comes here. And when he does return, he's going to change our bodies. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, so we can see this a little bit, a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. So it's gonna be amazing, something that we can't even imagine um, when our body is transformed. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the interesting uh, part, the part that connects this life, our transformed body, our transformed life, and the new heavens and the new earth. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So he sticks that right at the end of the transformation of our body and helps us to understand that what we do in this life has ramifications for when we are living in the new heavens and the new earth. When we die, we still, we do go to be with Christ in heaven, but we don't stay in heaven permanently. Heaven comes to earth. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the wonderful message that we need to share. It's about more than going to heaven to live. It's about living on this redeemed, renewed, sin-free earth. So, I don't know if that's kind of new or that's kind of, uh, you're not certain about that or you've heard it before and you already believe it. But let's go on to another verse that talks about what happens here on this earth when we are uh, redeemed and the earth is redeemed. So turn to Revelation 21 verses one through three. Now God, walked with us in the garden, walked with man, Adam and Eve, in the garden before sin. And some people think that because of that sin, because of that fall, we will be cut off from God forever, that we will never get back to the garden, that things will never be the same. But that's not what 
God says. Again, God does not give up on this earth. He does not give up on us. He doesn't throw us away and start over either through this earth or with us. You know, the, the most famous verse is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, a lot of times we automatically kind of think of, okay, he's just talking about people. He's just talking about us, a few of us, but he's really not. He's talking about the cosmos. He's talking about heavens and earth and people. So the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21, one through three. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Doesn't that sound amazing? We will be with God, he will be here on earth with us. So what are we gonna do on this earth? What, what could we possibly do? So much of our life nowadays is taken up with rectifying sin, the problems that happen from sin. What will we be doing on the new heavens and the new earth? Well, when we were originally, when the world was originally created, we were given tasks to tend the garden and to work. And I don't think that's gonna be taken away from us. I think we'll be able to still employ our creative skills and we'll still be able to work and have fun and do all the things that we wanna do. Are we gonna be bored? No, we're not gonna be bored because boredom is part of the fall. So no boredom, no pain, no tears. And we're gonna be servants also. Servants are always busy. So we're gonna be doing that and we're gonna be living our lives the way it was meant to be um, and what God wanted us to do originally. Now again, we don't know everything that's gonna happen. It's gonna be good though. First Corinthians 2.9, Paul says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We've never seen it, we've never heard about it. We can't even imagine what it's gonna be like. But that's what God has prepared for us, for those who love him. Okay, so that's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And let's go on to the last part of the verse. How is God gonna do all this? I mean, it's one thing to say it, but can he pull it off? He has the enemy of Satan against him. So what can he do to make this happen? And what he's gonna do is he's gonna exert the same power that he, 
that God the Father used to raise Christ from the, the dead, the same power that God used to create the heavens and the earth in the first place. That power is inexhaustible. That power cannot be defeated. And that's what he uses, that's what he employs towards us. That's actually living in us. Christ has said that his resurrected power is in us right now. And everybody knows it, the world knows it. They see that something is different with us. It's not an act that we put on, it's his power making us into his image. As we uh, heard earlier in the songs or in the scripture reading, that Christ has the power to put everything in subjection to him. Now we see power struggles, struggles all over the place in this world. Russia and the West have a power struggle going on through Ukraine. Iran is fighting to gain power over Israel. Husbands and wives have power struggles and oftentimes end up getting divorced. Kids and parents have a power struggle going on all the time. Politics is nothing but a power struggle without guns. So God has this power. And the thing to remember too is that this isn't a new power that he has. But as we heard in the song and in uh, the scripture reading, that God revealed this to, to us. He let us know that this is different, that Christ coming to live on this earth and dying and his resurrected power, resurrection power, that's something new on the scene. The triune God has always been in control, but he wants to glorify Christ, so he brought Christ forward at the right time for us. But Christ's resurrection changed everything. Oftentimes we look at his resurrection, we think, hey, it's an anomaly. It's a one-off event, and it was designed to save our souls. But it's not a one-off event. It changed history completely. It changed everything completely. It's still, the process is still ongoing. But there was the old covenant, the old way things were done, and now there's the new. Christ conquered death. That hadn't, that hadn't happened before. That had never happened, and now it has. Christ is the first fruits. We will be, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna be numbered. Maybe I'll be 1,500,000 of the fruit, I don't know. But it'll be followed by many, many others. So let's just give a quick rundown of what changed. Well, the curse is being lifted. Christ talked about he's the light of the world. Now. It's not like our light switches nowadays where boom, the light comes on and every, it, light is everywhere. It's more like the dawn where light comes gradually and starts spreading throughout the whole world. That's what's going on. That's how the curse is being lifted. 
Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That was one of the last things he said to his disciples. And you know the rest of it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. He said he will always be with us when we do that. He gave us a new covenant. The old covenant has passed away. He's given us new hearts of flesh, laws written on our hearts. When he ascended, when he rose from the grave, the description of that, what happened, is found in Daniel 7. Let's turn to Daniel 7. So Christ rose from the grave, and where did he go? What's he doing? What happened? It says, I saw in the night visions, this is uh, Daniel having a vision of what's going on. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That would be Christ. And he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. There's a lot there, but just notice the references to the kingdom. Remember when Christ was tempted in the wilderness? One of the things that Satan did was he offered the nations to Christ if Satan would only just bow down and worship him. He didn't do that, thankfully. But he tried to bribe Jesus and throw God's plan off of, off kilter. But Jesus, however, knew, according to this prophecy, that he was gonna receive an everlasting kingdom, one that will never fail, one that will never fall apart. And while on earth, we see that Jesus further limited Satan's power. Now what we're talking about is what happened at the resurrection, why that was more important than just us being saved. When Jesus cast out a demon, they were all over him about that. They were asking him all kinds of questions about that. How did he respond? They were accusing him of using Satan's power to cast out the demons. But Jesus said, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. This Jesus said in response to the scribes saying that Jesus cast out demons using Satan's power. By saying this, Jesus stated that he had bound Satan and was plundering his stuff. So think about that. Satan had control, Satan had power on this earth. Jesus comes in and he plunders his house. He binds him and he plunders his house. Something pretty radical change there. In John 12, 27 through 32, Jesus answered, there was a voice that came out of, it was 
Father, the God the Father's voice talking about Jesus. And Jesus answered the crowd and said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Catch the, the time reference. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So things were happening to Satan. Things were happening to the principalities and the powers that existed in that, in that time. And then when Christ ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. This verse is quoted many times, and, and uh, Bob was talking about it last Sunday. Psalm 110.1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and his enemies are being made a footstool. Jesus repeated this verse when he was arguing with the Pharisees. Peter uses it in Acts and Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 15.25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So Jesus initiated the the kingdom while he was here. And it's something that we also continue to pray for. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. And we pray for that kingdom to keep coming. One other verse about inheriting this earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. One thing I'd like to deal with right now is the idea of uh, one of the objections that um, in, is in 2 Peter 3.10. It talks about the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. So how can we have a continuous earth when we read stuff like this. Does this mean that God is going to burn up the whole earth, destroy the whole thing, and start over? Well, one thing that's interesting, and there's a couple different ways to take this. When it talks about the elements will be dissolved with fire, we tend to think of the periodic table, the elements, that kind of thing. But the same word is used for elemental spirits and principles in Galatians 4.3. And it says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So it doesn't necessarily mean the periodic table, the elements in that kind of a way. But we were enslaved before we were saved to the elementary principles of this world, the principalities, the powers of the air. And that's something that Christ did away with when he rose from the dead. And another thing to think about, if you don't want to buy that approach, then another way to look at it is that in Romans it talks about our, our body being transformed that our body will not be destroyed, it will not be annihilated. 
It says, in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will give life to our mortal bodies, that same spirit. So those kinds of things are what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. That's why it is the pivotal point in history. That is why it changes everything. He also inaugurated the kingdom. When he cast out demons, he said, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Over and over again, he talks about the kingdom has come near, the kingdom, and this was, this was when he was alive on this earth. That's what John the Baptist was all about too. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we have a situation where the life of Jesus inaugurated the change from the old covenant to the new. And personally, I believe it started the new heavens and the new earth. That can sound kind of crazy, but I think what we have to keep in mind is that there's a way of looking at this and it's called already and not yet. Already and not yet. So he started the new heavens and the new earth And he said things like, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And then also, what everybody knows here, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's what I mean by already, he started it. But again, it's gonna happen, it's gonna meet its consummation when Christ returns and puts an end to death and makes everything new. In the meantime, we wait, but that doesn't mean inactivity. We're waiting for Christ to return, but that doesn't mean inactivity on our part. We can go back to that verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 that talks about, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's a pretty bold promise. That's a pretty amazing promise to us, that our labor is not in vain, that when we work, it is for the Lord is for building the kingdom. And you can do that, you know, though if you, if you think about that, our labor is not in vain, but this world ends. So that one could think, okay, well, yeah, our labor is in vain because this world ends. We go to heaven, at some point in time we go to heaven. But
But if you stop and think about this world is just renewed, which it is, I may have sounded a little bit confusing there when I said this world ends. It does in a certain way, but it is renewed. And there's continuity between this life on earth and the new heavens and the new earth. Over and over again, God promises rewards, which means it could mean a deeper relationship with the Lord now and then. It could mean more responsibility, more cities, greater joy. Giving funds to the work of building the kingdom. We heard uh, Dan talk about the minas and what happens when you have money and how you invest it. Do you fritter it away or do you use your money for building the kingdom? Jesus says, I tell, you, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you're a believer, if you have the gifts of the Spirit, if the Spirit dwells in you, then you can be productive. You can increase the effect of the kingdom. Give your time and effort also because your effort won't be in vain. And secondly, another application is that when we think about evangelism, sometimes we think about, we talk about heaven. The goal is simply to get somebody into heaven. But I think a fuller, better way to look at it is that we want to live, we want to talk to people, and we want to tell them what's going to happen with this earth and that righteousness will dwell. And heaven is just a temporary spot. That is what's amazing to people is that this earth that they're used to will be renewed into a better earth. Righteousness will dwell here on this earth. Last time I, I taught, I forgot to number the pages, so I got really lost. This time I numbered the pages, and that is the last page right there. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, your plan just amazes us. Just the idea that this earth, these heavens will be renewed, made new. That you don't give up on this earth just because the curse is here. At one point in time, you will lift that curse and there will be so much joy in our lives, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. May we be bold in declaring, just telling people this is the way it is, that this is what's gonna happen, that this earth will be renewed, that righteousness will dwell here on earth. We pray that you would give us opportunities to, to say that to people, but help us to be bold and confident in knowing that your plan will come to pass.
that nothing can stop it. Thank you, Lord, for your message. Thank you for the truth in it. Thank you for the comfort in it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.